Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. It is clear from the pathologist's report that they were both struck on the head with a, a great deal of force. Hi, I'm Jesse Mulligan and this is Crimes NZ. For this episode, the final in our third season, I have to warn you that the case we're discussing is about child abuse. In fact, it's one of the worst cases of abuse seen here in New Zealand. So please take care while you listen. Chris and crew Kahui were fatally injured in 2006. They were just 84 days old. Marie Dyberg was the lawyer for the twins' mother, Maxina King. It was a very upsetting case, you know, the thought of two little twins, as with any child, any baby uh, who is so helpless uh, to be killed uh, and die as a result of an unlawful act, uh, we all react to it. We all are really horrified and we feel so helpless about it. But unfortunately, as I see it, We have this reaction, we say it's terrible, we really at the time say that this can't possibly happen again, it just keeps happening and there just aren't the resources that are really put into the vulnerable families or families that may be at risk uh, or identified at a very early age to really try and help parents, grandparents and children, all of whom are caught up uh, in the reason why we end up with these terrible abuse cases. So can you remind us what exactly happened? What happened is that Maxina had been out for a couple of nights in succession. The first night, we have to remember, is that she had her little one-year-old son, Shane, who was suffering respiratory problems, and she sat all night into the early hours of the morning at the hospital until 6 a.m., waiting for him to be looked at. She then went out the next night and said, in effect, I haven't been out, I've had no break, you, Chris, are not around to look after the twins, and so you will look after them, uh, and I'm going to spend time with my sister. And that is what she did. So she went out that second night just to have a bit of a, a time with her sister and a break away from the home, first time ever. During the evening that she was away, something happened to the twins, uh, very serious injuries obviously occurred during this period. That is what the inquest found. When Maxina did return home that second morning, she noticed a little bruise on one of the babies and said, what's happened? What's 
taken place in my absence. The babies were sleeping, and that's what Maxina thought because she'd been advised that they'd been fed and put down. Mm. So she allowed them to stay sleeping. But later, she realized that there was something seriously wrong with the babies, went to the doctor the local GP, he realized that there was something very wrong with these babies and instructed them to immediately take them to the hospital. Uh, Then, of course, there was this uh, series where they picked up uh, supplies for the baby, picked up what was going to be relevant for the hospital staff to have by terms of records, which would help the babies, Chris Kahui refused to take them to the hospital and it was left to Maxina to do that. And of course, by the time she arrived at the hospital, she was very much uh, in shock, uh, very distressed uh, and realising that something very serious had happened to her twin babies. And even now, we don't know exactly how the twins uh, sustained their fatal injuries. Uh, we do have a clip of the Crown Prosecutor, Simon Moore, describing um, their assumption as to what had happened. The most likely mechanism is that each twin was grasped around the chest and squeezed so tightly that the ribs popped. And as this was being done, or in connection with this, Uh, Each twin was slammed onto or or against firm, unyielding surface. Yes, we don't know for sure because, of course, Chris Kahui or no one else actually has ever taken responsibility uh, for what happened to those babies. But it is clear from the pathologist's report that they were both struck on the head with a a great deal of force on an object, what we call blunt force trauma. So whatever that was, whether it is a weapon, whether it is uh, against a wall or against uh, some piece of furniture, whatever it was, it was a very hard surface that caused those injuries. So how the mechanism came about, we just simply do not know. We do know it was serious blunt force trauma. When did you get involved, Marie? I was involved very soon after the babies were taken to hospital because whilst Maxina was there at the hospital and waiting to see what was happening to the babies, a social worker recommended to her that in all the circumstances that this was clearly not a non-accidental injury, she should contact a lawyer and get some legal advice and legal representation. So Maxina contacted me and that would have been within hours of the babies being presented at the hospital and immediately following the advice from the social worker. So I was there right in the beginning through that investigation stage which took some 18 weeks. I then, of course, followed through, followed the trial, followed all the proceedings, continued to represent Maxina's interests, and then, of course, represented her at the inquest. So pretty much from start to finish. 
Okay, and by the way, just in case uh, some people don't get confused, there's Chris, uh, one of the twins, and then Chris, who was Maxina's uh, husband at the time, right? Yes, yes, it was her partner. And so I will refer to baby Chris, uh, if that makes it easier. When I refer to Chris, it's uh, Chris Senior. And one of the things that people will remember about this case is that it was reported that Chris Senior and his family closed ranks and wouldn't talk to the police. Is that how you recall it? It is absolutely incorrect. It is not true. What the police decided to do initially, and of course they were involved very, very quickly and so they should, was that they would allow the family to conduct the funeral to get that process out of the way so that then after that process they would then ask the family to come and make the statements, provide the information. Now what happened was that there was some spokesperson, I don't know where she came from, she had no authority from Maxina, as I understand it, she had no authority from anybody else. She took it upon herself to go to the media, talk about this tight five, and in effect say, uh, we are not talking to the police. So the media grabbed that great soundbite, great headline, mm. tight five, closing ranks, stonewalling, all of this information. Uh, and that is not how it was. And in fact, whilst the trial was on, I was in another trial in another courtroom, and I had two journalists approach me and say, we never realized how much. Uh, information and the extent of these interviews that the family had uh, with the police. Now, the core people, Chris Kahui, Maxina, her brother, Chris Kahui's sister, who was the partner of Maxina's brother, granddad Banjo Kahui, all these adults, they made statements to the police. And so far as Maxina is concerned, I did a timesheet and we made uh, many trips to uh, the police station and also in my offices. There were 38 hours that Maxina put into police statements. Chris Kahui made three extensive statements on video to the police. Maxina's brother and Chris Kahui's sister, as I recall, each made at least two very extensive statements, as did Banjo. These were the central people in the house, the central individuals, key individuals, all making statements to the police. But what was really disturbing for me was the police made no correction to the media that whilst all these headlines, family uh, close ranks, family stonewalling, to actually correct that very disturbing misconception They were making statements. They did not close ranks. And what is a real fallacy, I've seen it in other cases where there is a a homicide of a baby or a child within a family and the public go feral. They go, 
They must know. They know they're harbouring a killer. Well, that is not the case at all. And I just point to the many cases where there is sexual offending against young people, where there is infidelity uh, within a home. People do not know if somebody is going to be seriously abusing a child or a baby, this is done in private. It is not done out in the open, usually. Sometimes it is, but not always. And these babies, according to the pathologist, they were fatally injured in the dead of night, as it were. They were able to put a timeline that they were well, uh, when Maxina last checked them and went out, during that night and into the next day, that is when they suddenly were not feeding properly, clearly showing signs there was something serious. And during that time, people just aren't around. They're sleeping. They don't see what's happened. So no one in that family except the person who did the assault and maybe if that person admitted to someone else, those people would know, but most people would not. And there were claims but in the media that the police were saying within days, we know who the killer is, we're about to make an arrest. Well, that's not what I was getting from the police at all. And so I don't know where those reports came from, but they were incorrect. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, there was testimony and some assistance from the family to the police. This is the testimony of Mo Kahui, Chris's sister, uh, and it's being reported by Will Hine at the time on Checkpoint here on RNZ, uh, talking to Mary Wilson. She said she picked up crew uh, and she saw that at first he appeared normal. His body felt normal. Uh, however, then his lips turned blue and his eyes rolled back in his head. Uh, she quickly said to Chris, who was nearby, that, uh, that the boy has stopped breathing. And she says that at first Chris thought she was exaggerating. Uh, she, he quickly became aware that she wasn't exaggerating. And at this point, he became worried. She said he tried to do CPR. And at this point, she left the room. She later returned and found that the boy had started breathing again uh, and then a discussion took place as to whether he should be taking it into hospital. Uh, a decision was made not to call an ambulance because they had a car there and it was decided that if they were to go to hospital uh, a car could be used them and that that would be quicker than, than going in an ambulance. As it was, they decided not to go and they kept the two boys overnight at home. Uh, however, she said Chris wasn't anti a hospital visit. Uh, he wasn't actively sort of protesting against going to the hospital. She said he simply thought that that wasn't re required. And she said that she trusted him uh, because it was his child that she, uh, he was talking about. I'm talking to Marie Dyberg today about the Kahui twins case. Very difficult uh, case even to hear about. 14 years later, Marie was the lawyer for Maxina King and uh, and suggests that perhaps nobody knew what happened to these twins, um, how they sustained their fatal injuries. You're the, you, you were the lawyer for Maxina King, so presumably there's no interest in, in you uh, defending the family. But for people listening, I, I think it will be hard to credibly believe that of the, I mean, up to 12 people lived in the house. There were several people there on the night that the injuries were sustained that people wouldn't know who had done it. And presumably it I, wasn't the first time. I totally 
reject that that is something that people would know. And people who are maybe inexperienced, um, maybe uninformed, they can say that if they wish. But in reality is there is so much uh, crime that is carried out that is undetected uh, and people genuinely, sincerely say, I did not know this was going on. And if you've got somebody who's clever enough and denying that it all happened, unless you see something, you will not know who has done this because that is what the law is all about. There is opportunity for a number of people to have inflicted the fatal injuries, but to know to be sure who did this without a confession, without some eyewitness, you do not know. Your your and client the, was, was not on, on trial. You were there at the inquest but not at the trial. But what can you tell us about um, how the trial went? Who was the accused, by the way, and, and how did the trial go? Well, the trial... Uh, preyed upon the terrible prejudice that was unleashed upon Maxina King. She was not present whilst the injuries were inflicted. Chris Kahui was, but for some reason, the public really tore into Maxina King. She was branded as a mongrel mum. I saw a magazine with that headline. She was hounded. She was persecuted. She was blamed for the death of these children in the most vitriolic way. I have never seen pre-trial publicity in New Zealand that I would say would have completely prevented her from any fair trial had she been accused. And that is what the defence did. They stood before that jury from the minute they were were given audience and said that Maxina King, she killed her babies, we'll tell you why, and we will present her in this trial as a totally unfit mother, even though she's not on trial, and prejudice worked in favour of the defence and against the Crown, no question. And she has never known who. She has very firm views from what she has pieced together, but initially she was not prepared to point the finger at anyone, and, and so she shouldn't because the evidence wasn't there. Eventually the evidence was through the inquest. So the result of the people, trial, sorry to interrupt, the, the result of the trial was the acquittal of Chris Kahui, uh, her partner, and then there was mm. the inquest, which began in October 2010. Yes. The actual hearing happened in 2012. Uh, we've got a little recording of this inquest. This is RNZ reporter Lisa Thompson reporting on an exchange between Chris Kahui and Crown solicitor Simon Mount. In the statement, Chris Kahui told the inquest that he left Maxina to do everything with the twins. However, when asked by Mr Mount, Mr Kahui conceded that this was not the case. In that second paragraph, it says, but looking back... The boys didn't feed when they usually would have after Maxina left on the day of the power cut. Now that's you saying very directly that the boys didn't feed when they usually would have. Now that, that's not correct, is it? 
And during an exchange with the lawyer, he told the inquest he should have thought more about the statement before signing it. How long did you spend going through it? I think I just read the whole thing. How long did that take? I don't know exactly. Were you careful? No, I wasn't. Looking back, do you think you were a bit careless in signing this statement? No, yes I was. So what can you tell us about the inquest, Marie? Well, the inquest was a very, very different forum, Jesse. And in an inquest, the coroner has a function which is what we call an inquisitorial function. So it's not adversarial, which is uh, beyond reasonable doubt for the Crown to prove the case. The coroner is entitled to ask questions of any witness allow them to be cross-examined to find out what has actually happened, what caused the death of these twins and what can be done in the future to perhaps avoid it happening. So every witness was able to be cross-examined. At the trial by comparison, all the Crown could do was call those witnesses, and if they didn't come up to brief, or if they only left some things unsaid and you felt like you'd really like to examine them properly, you can't do that if they're your witnesses, particularly if they're not hostile. And, of course, uh, Chris Kahui uh, was not compelled to give evidence at his trial. At the inquest, all the witnesses, including the civilian witnesses and the experts and the police, they could be cross-examined. And so, therefore, uh, the true facts came out that did not come out at trial. For example, the witness at trial said that they seemed to think the babies were feeding all right, prior to Maxina coming home on that second day, whereas at the inquest it was actually established that those twins did not feed before Maxina King came home. They did not feed properly, so therefore there was something wrong. So the jury didn't get to hear that evidence that it was likely those twins were injured prior to Maxina coming home. And, of course, keeping in mind, she was the target of the defence, all that prejudice that was being targeted on her. Chris Kahui gave evidence at the inquest. He was, therefore, subject to cross-examination by Simon Mount, who represented the police, and I was able to cross-examine at that inquest as well. I was able to cross-examine the grandfather. I was able to cross-examine the witness who had come and fed one of the twins that day before Maxina returned. I was able to cross-examine the other witnesses uh, there as well. Uh, There was also a witness who uh, came forward and said, oh, Maxina confessed to me she did it, which he was completely annihilated at the inquest. He had no credibility. And we all know uh, that the coroner himself found Chris Kahui without credibility, without any 
our reliability, he found this other witness completely lacking in any credibility. So it was a different forum, and everybody involved was able to be put to the test and cross-examined, and for the coroner to be witnessing all of this and making his decision, that's Coroner Evans, uh, as to what he made of those witnesses after they had been thoroughly examined and cross-examined, including Chris Kahui. Yeah, and and fair to say the inquest exonerated Maxine. It did. It was a long time coming. Uh, It was broken down into three lots only because it took so long. But for Maxina, she did not care how long it took. For her, it could take as long as it had to take because she, we all know, took all of this dreadful prejudice, all of these terrible things from the ill-informed, nasty public and and to, to be upfront, the media as well published so much stuff against her that whatever it took, she would have her day and she would be exonerated. And what came out at trial, but particularly came out at the inquest, was she was visited without any notice at all. And all those experts who did come to examine the baby, check the babies, found that they were gaining weight, they were well looked after, they were progressing well, they were always warm, they were properly tucked up. She was a very good mother to those twins. But it took the inquest for her to be seen as the the good and caring mother she was. Uh, It was a long time for her, but she was prepared to wait. And at last, all of this terrible prejudice uh, and speculation she, she had endured, she endured it with dignity. And there was an occasion where Susan Woods got word that Maxina was at the police station that asked her to come in and have a talk. I was tied up in court. I'd agreed that, yet yeah, no, you go along. The police allowed cameras and Susan Woods to come into the police station. They said later, oh, we couldn't stop them, member of the public. How ridiculous is that, to be quite frank, and I do criticise the police on that. And Susan Wood is there with a camera right in Maxina's face. She quietly, with dignity, said, I do not wish to talk to you. And a number of public actually contacted me and said, oh, my goodness, we thought she was this horrible person. Mm. And look at the dignity that she quietly said to Susan Wood, who didn't deserve the dignity she gave her for her conduct as a reporter. She she actually had public saying, I've completely had a different picture of her. And when I saw the way she handled uh, Susan Wood, she's got my... uh, Respect. I have a different view of her. So many sad aspects to this case. Um, Yes, there is. What was the police's final statement then uh, following the trial and the inquest? What was the last sort of word from them? 
I think the last word is that uh, people know or are of a, of a very strong view that the inquest in particular showed who was responsible for the death. Uh, and I'm saying this with caution, I cannot point the finger and say it is that person, but from a defence lawyer's perspective, the evidence to the police and to myself uh, and to the coroner in particular did indicate who was responsible and there's, that person has been on trial. I have to be careful to say it was him, but the police have no new leads at the moment and therefore they cannot pursue anybody else. And you would hope they wouldn't. You would hope they would not pursue someone for such a serious offence unless they were on very solid ground. And at the moment, they have nothing new. Thanks for listening to Crimes NZ, hosted by me, Jesse Mulligan. This was the last episode for this season, but if you're looking for more true crime podcasts, RNZ has plenty. Try Gone Fishing, Red Lion or Black Sheep. And all our podcasts can be found on the RNZ website. You can also find them on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you click the follow button, you won't miss an episode like the first episode of the next season of Crimes NZ, which should be out soon. 